Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Interviews with Chris. I am your host, Chris Tryon. This is episode number five. This episode was actually recorded on May 27th and was supposed to air on June 1st, but I decided to postpone it due to there being more important issues in the world. You know, a pretty steady theme with previous episodes has been to talk about the coronavirus and the pandemic. But there's another issue that's been plaguing this country for way too long, and that issue is racism. I've been thinking hard about how I was going to address this. I mean, I've got a platform where I'm able to influence people to a certain degree, so I need to make my words count. It's important to listen, learn, and help the black community and stay active in the fight against racial injustice. There is no place for racism in this world. I want to say I hope you guys are all right, but I know that things aren't all right. People are angry, confused, and want change. I've always believed that having a voice is one of the most powerful things that one can have. But right now, ironically, that's not enough. Racism is a cancer in society that hasn't been able to be eliminated despite us being in the year 2020. But COVID-19 is also very real, so please make sure you're doing your best to be safe out there. Inaction is not an option, and there are many ways where one can help. I've included a Google Doc on my website and my Instagram for funds you could donate to, petitions you could sign, and other resources that are available. In the world of regular programming, though, I'm excited to present you all with today's episode. I've got Mauricio Pastor. I've known him for over a decade, so I just call him Maui. He's a tattoo artist currently tattooing in San Diego, California at Full Circle Tattoo but originally hails from El Paso, Texas. I've seen him grow in his career, and to be honest, he's one of my friends whose work ethic I admire the most. Some want to be an actor, a pilot, maybe if you're listening to this, a tattoo artist. But getting that particular title is a grind. And once you're there, it's a continuous grind. And that's why I love talking to Maui so much. His mentality is a thing of beauty, and anyone could take something positive away from it even if you don't tattoo. People like him inspire me to continue to create and to continue to be a student of whatever craft I'm soaking myself in because there's always so much more to learn. I hope you enjoy listening to this as much as I love chatting with Maui and you get a couple of laughs in too. Here's my conversation with him. Hey, Maui. How's it going? Uh, what's going on, Chris? Nothing, man. Just excited to interview you. After troubleshooting and finally getting you on, I think you should change your career from tattoo artist to Best Buy Geek Squad IT member because <laughs> we are live and I am oh, grateful man. for it. 
Oh, I mean, as You're long as I have nice and clear. As long as I have a Google page next to me, or at least you in an earbud, I feel like I'll I'll make it through any anything that's thrown my way. Wonderful. So I'm excited to have you on. So you know what's kind of funny? It honestly hasn't been too long since we last saw each other. I mean, we had a very nice cup of coffee back at the end of February when I visited San Diego. So yes. how are you doing since then, man? It's been good. It's, I mean, it's a lot different than I anticipated being at that time, you know, with, with this whole pandemic. But I feel like it's been, it's been a blessing in disguise almost, for lack of a better phrase. Uh, it's been nice to just have time for myself and not feel like I'm walking or running around with my head cut off, you know? What about you? Well, I would say the same thing. I would definitely say that I'm trying to take advantage of the opportunity of being at home a little bit more. And like you said, you know, I feel like I'm the type of person that's usually wound up uh, <laughs> for a lack of a better phrase. Uh, yeah. Most people think I'm psychotic. So I think I'm trying to <laughs> just learn how to relax a little bit more. But I'm guessing that you've been drawing and sharpening up your skills and chops with the way that the world is. I mean, Besides all those one-handed push-ups, headstands, and jogs you've been doing. <laughs> no, actually, man, it's been quite the opposite. Uh, I will tell you, I probably haven't drawn in like, I don't know, maybe like a month. But to sit down and actually try and execute a design from start to finish. There's been, you know, a couple of sketches here and there. But with moving into a new apartment and just being back home, trying to spend time with my family. I don't know. I've just I've been attempting to make time for things that I usually don't make time for when when it's when tattooing is happening. But it's been good. That's great. So what you're trying to tell me is that the next time we see each other there's an increased chance we could jog down the shoreline together like Rocky Balboa and Apollo. <laughs> yeah, but I'm Apollo because I ain't going to let you win, my friend. I understand here. So for those that are wondering, are you currently tattooing on an appointment basis right now? Where does the state of tattooing stand in the current state of the world that we're living in right now? I guess it depends on where you are location-wise. I know there's a few people tattooing out in Europe already, and there's some surrounding state. Not uh, Well, there's some states that are already tattooing uh, domestically, but... We're just waiting to get into phase three of the of the process of of trying to get back into the normal swing of things. Apparently, there's four phases, but it's just word from the governor. Once he gives us the green light, he'll open up the floodgates and everybody's going to have skin scabs. Got it. And you said phases. What I'm not too familiar are you just talking about like in general the phases of letting people continue on with their lives or are you talking like tattooing specifically uh no it's the phases that the governor of california had implemented to be able to have people you know get back into the swing of things and there's obviously i think phase one and phase two were essential businesses and I mean, I probably should be a little bit more, should be checking a little bit more thoroughly, but I've kind of just left it to chance. And, you know, once I get the green light, I'm ready to go back whenever, you know, they let us know that we're able to go back. So I've been taking it easy. 
and just kind of waiting around, man, and trying to make the most of the time. Got it. So I scoped out your profile online at Full Circle Tattoo. I saw that your tattooing style is considered as a neo-traditional. To someone like myself that doesn't know all of the tattoo terminology, please explain to me, what is neo-traditional? My approach would be just, or my definition of neo-traditional would be something that, or a tattoo style that isn't using a single line. So varying line weights would be a characteristic and also the color choice of the piece, the color palette would would also be something that another characteristic that would fall into neo-traditional. I think it's a lot of it just depends on the way that you're designing the actual piece, like specific contour lines. I believe some of the, like when you're drawing a human face, there's specific contour lines that people like to emphasize. But yeah, I think uh, those are the main, the three main things that I would say. Okay. And do you prefer tattooing in color or black and gray? I prefer tattooing in black and gray, honestly. After a few years now that I've been tattooing, I really enjoy the simplicity that goes into the black and gray process. There's a little bit of less variables that you have to think about. Usually, if you're using color, you have to take the person's skin and how, I mean, how active they are in the sun. A lot of the times, certain pigments can, they can brown out a little bit depending on the application or just the amount of sun the person's getting. So when you initially make the tattoo, it does look a specific way, but once it settles in the skin, the melanin can change it, the shades and tint the color so it can skew the process of, or the not the process, but the final outcome of what the tattoo looks like. So I think in terms of longevity, that's why I prefer some of the black and gray approach. Also, I enjoy tattooing it just because I feel like it's a little, a little more brush-like rather than uh, trying to pack in color. So I feel like it's a little bit more fluid, especially if you're working with larger areas of uh, like black and uh, with with larger areas of uh, gray. Well, you kind of went into depth into that particular process, but just tattoo history in general, is that something that you're super into? It's something that I'm very novice at. I have friends who are very, are a lot more thorough and are able to recall, you know, people's biographies and their lineage of how this tattooer apprenticed this guy. And it's something that I know is important. I know it's something that makes you a well-rounded tattooer and not just as a tattooer, but just history in general, I feel like you're able to draw experiences from, you know, people that came before you. But my drawing skill wasn't anything exceptional or even frankly that good. 
when I started. So a majority of the actual time that I've spent these last few years has been developing the design and the application more so than the reading or the, you know, the uncovering of the tattooers that, you know, have laid the foundation for me, really. Yeah, we're before you. Yeah. Yeah, because I actually did some research last night. You really put me on this deep, dark, winding path of <laughs> tattoo history. Do you know who Utsi, the Iceman, is? Uh, I don't. <laughs> and I'm a little embarrassed to say that I don't because I don't know okay. who you're going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to take up this entire podcast episode talking about this Neolithic mummy Neanderthal guy, but he's like the oldest documented human with tattoos. Oh, it's actually okay. a, yeah. A, yeah, yeah, a mummy. Okay. He was encapsulated in some sort of glacier and That's right. two tourists back in the early 90s were like, oh, there's a mummy. He's in a glacier. And I guess they took out the mummy. You know, obviously professionals took him out. Right. And he had like 61 tattoos on him. And what was kind of interesting is that these tattoos were like geometric line tattoos that I think denoted where his pain points were. He had a lot of... Um, medical abnormalities and degenerative diseases. I mean, I sound like a scientist. I'm not like, it's kind of crazy, but like he had, you know, he was lactose intolerant. I mean, yeah, he had extensive that's a, that's a bad one. decay. Yeah, there you go. You know, I mean, <laughs> Neolithic Copper Age mummy that has that is those issues, right? But yeah. he was like the earliest person down to have Lyme disease, blood typo positive. Anyways, he honestly got me going down this deep rabbit hole of investigating <laughs> mummies until 2 a.m. last night but oh man yeah that's what i was trying to get into like the tattoos were done by like rubbing suit and ashes and to like yeah. the fresh incision wounds and yeah i thought it was super fascinating i i already like favorited four documentaries on utsi the iceman thanks to you you're gonna have to pass them along i will maybe that's who i'll be for halloween if we're <laughs> able to beep somebody for halloween are you already lactose intolerant no, man, I drink so much milk and eat so much cheese that <laughs> my body would explode if I was. But um, enchiladas. Yeah, enchiladas. Man, I, red enchiladas. I mean, I, I like them both, red and green. But uh, yeah, let's... Anyways, Utsi the Iceman. Whoever's listening in is probably like, what's going on here? But from what you've told me, you never really started drawing seriously until you were apprenticing at a tattoo shop. So, I mean, you had to be somewhat good, right? before it all started. I mean, because I'm horrible, you know, I just do stick figures. So, I mean, it had to have come from, you know, you being interested, maybe perhaps from an earlier age. Uh, I, before going into tattooing, I was taking some art classes at UTEP when I was still in El Paso. And so there was a foundation of the process of drawing. It wasn't any, like I said, it wasn't anything polished or anything anything good or what I felt was good but for some reason my mentor Eric Ward he saw potential and you know I'm really eternally grateful for his grace really to to offer me the the hand in learning how to tattoo because without it I really I I don't know I don't know 
uh, where I'd be. But yeah, I didn't really do too much drawing before tattooing. Well, how did that all start? Like, did you like look over your shoulder and was like, you're good, you're good, bud? Or did you actually get <laughs> tattooed and you're like, hey, I'm really interested in this. I'd like to seek out a future. Like, how did that all come about? The process was, it was a little, I guess, it, it happened by chance, really. I, I never anticipated wanting to become a tattooer. I, I was never interested in tattooing and in, in being a tattooer. I really wasn't. But the I beauty think, of life. Yeah, I think when I was in school and I had this teacher, who a graphic design teacher, was making us do a specific project to where I believe the, the assignment was taking a quote that he put up three different quotes you choose the quote and then you design a poster from the quote that he you know from the quotes that he gave you and you remember any of those quotes the only one was the one that he said and it was the pencil is mightier than the pixel and that's the one that i chose i don't remember what did the design i did but when he said that he pretty much elaborated and expanded in saying that Anything that you do on a computer, it, the best designers are always drawing. And when he said that, I was also in, in the same in the same time period, I had started getting tattooed. And when my friends were starting to get tattooed. And so I was really drawn towards just traditional imagery. In a graphic design sense, it reads super well. It looks great from afar, simple. It's not abstract. You can tell what it is. When done correctly, you can tell what it is. And um, I think at that point, I wasn't necessarily trying to draw tattoos to become a tattooer, but to use them in the graphic design approach. And I think that's when I kind of got bitten by the bug of at least the imagery. And it wasn't until... I met a friend, uh, I think his name was Edwin, and he introduced me to another friend of his, which was Alan, who now runs Proper Print Shop back in El Paso. And this was when Alan was running... Great uh, business from back recovery home. Recovery Teat. Yeah, it is. They. Oh, man. It was great how they did the... How they donated all that money after the, the shooting happened from all the business that they got anyway prop yeah. uh props to proper they're yeah. awesome dudes amazing business great friends yeah sorry to derail the story <laughs> um so so alan taught me how to he taught me how to screen print and the only thing he asked me he didn't charge me any money to teach me i went to him and was willing to do anything was take out his trash or you know clean screens whatever it took to learn his process and the only thing he asked me to do was any information that i ever learned about screen printing to to pass it along to anybody who has any questions or pretty much you know to pay it forward and amazing i think it was when i was designing t-shirts and trying to print them 
for all the bands that we were involved with. A lot of the homies were traveling, doing Absolutely. weekend warrior, yeah, doing weekend warrior tours, like a couple weeks, a couple like a month, two months, whatever. And I was just trying to help them out. And me and my buddy Chris, you know Chris, uh, Chris Odom, Jesse Minus, and I think Taylor Hoover also was around. Adam, Adam helped me out. You know, we were just trying to figure out the the tattoo process, the uh, sorry, the screen printing process, and I think the curiosity of wanting to learn how to make the application of or the application of putting a design on a T-shirt really carried over to when it was happening during the tattoos because once I would see my friends getting tattooed and I was getting tattooed, man, I was that annoying person that just had a question for every movement that was happening, you know, like, oh, why are you using those paper towels? Or why are you using that needle? Or why are you using that machine? Just nonstop. And it got to the point where they told me, okay, uh, we really can't tell you the answer to these questions because you're not a tattooer. And I think it was in that moment where I was just like, well, fuck, now I got to learn how to tattoo because nobody's going to answer these questions. And that's really where I started to develop the portfolio that I presented to Eric. And that's when he was willing to take me on. But that's pretty much, I feel like, the process that happened. I'm sure that I'm missing a few details, but yeah. Well, I love that story you just gave. I really had no idea behind, you know, working with Alan from, you know, currently proper print shop, but beforehand recovery and just kind of knowing how it came around full circle going from the classroom to, you know, screen printing, then into a tattoo shop. I, I really never knew how that all came about. I thought it was more of like a linear process. So I'm glad you kind of laid it out for me. And as you've mentioned, your tattooing roots started in El Paso at West Texas Tattoo under Eric Ward. I'm sure it was hard to leave, but at the same time, I'm sure it also opened a world of opportunity. Are you able to discuss your journey about how you landed in San Diego? Oh, for sure. Well, early on when I first started getting tattooed, one of the other guys that was tattooing in the same tattoo shop as Eric was Devix, Devix Ruiz. And I met him his first year of tattooing. I met Eric his maybe 20th year of tattooing. So it was very intimidating to see Eric and with the amount of years that he'd been tattooing. So meeting Devix, I feel like I was a little bit less intimidated just because he just hadn't been tattooing that long. And he was really one of the guys to help me, encourage me to to tattoo or at least to get my designs going to be able to present them better. And he would always give me pointers. <laughs> Sometimes I would be on the opposite side of town or I would drive to where his shop was and just give him a call and tell him that I was, you know, in their neighborhood just so I could go and like pick his brain early in the mornings before he had to tattoo. And he always just was super welcoming and was able to 
answer any questions I had to the best of his ability. And, you know, so it was Eric and Devix that were tattooing at Sun City, actually. And it wasn't until, you know, we left or Eric and Selena left to create West Texas Tattoo that I feel like my apprenticeship went into, you know, high gear. But luckily, Bill Canales, who I am currently, I'm working at a shop, Full Circle Tattoo, out here in San Diego, has roots back in in El Paso as well. And he's been tattooing around the same time amount of years as as my mentor, Eric. And Devix was also starting to guest spot. So he had been tattooing at Sun City for a while. And he had been doing guest spots at Full Circle at Bill's shop in San Diego. And, you know, he would just go back and forth while I was getting my chops up at Eric's shop at West Texas. And what ended up happening was I came out here to, well, they asked me if I could do a guest spot at Full Circle. And I told them that I could. Actually, no, no, let me let me go back a little bit. So after Devix was going back and forth between the two shops, he ended up getting a job offer to come out here. So he comes out here to San Diego and I start to follow the shop. And that's when I start to see the level of artists that are working there. And I was completely blown away by just the the work was awesome. Just so impressive to me. And I ended up booking an appointment to get tattooed by my buddy Chong, Chong Tramontana. And he's also a native Texan as well. He's from San Antonio, I believe. So I came and got tattooed. And that's how I ended up, me and uh, my buddy uh, Sebastian, we ended up coming to get tattooed. And, you know, that's when I met Bill and he offered he told me that I could do a guest spot. So I, moving forward, I, I, I ended up doing a guest spot a few months later, and they had plans to open up a new studio. And it was kind of around that time period where they threw my name in the mix. I don't know exactly who, but I feel like, I mean, Devix did for sure. And they, so I came back home and they offered me a job out in San Diego. Um, and I was really shocked because I'd been tattooing for two years at that point. And I just, I had a really hard time adjusting when, <laughs> when I got to the shop, but it was really hard to leave because I was just starting to get, you know, bigger work back home. And it was just hard to leave the people that I loved that had taught me how to tattoo, you know, like, like I said, Eric is such a, a big, he's such a rock in my life and him and Selena have been the sweetest, most fucking caring people. Um, and he was a little pissed off (laughs) when I told him that I wanted to leave, honestly, but I think he was just reacting to, you know, he didn't want to lose you. I guess the, you know, yeah, he didn't want to lose me. We were, we became super tight, you know, he's like, he's definitely a father figure in my life. And, um, but I can actually, I can say that it's been one of the most, it was one of the toughest choices, but it, it's been, it's, it's been 
equally as as satisfying as it has been challenging. Well, that is an amazing story. I'm glad you went into detail. And my next question is, if your profession wasn't tattooing, what do you realistically think you'd be doing? I mean, after troubleshooting all this and trying to get you here recorded, I think you have a bright career as a computer technician. But I mean, maybe <laughs> were you passionate about something else? I don't know, NASCAR driving or being a teacher? Was there something you thought like, hey, if tattooing doesn't work, I'm going to have to fall back on something? Or was it just, hey, I'm going 100%. This is what I have to do. I mean, as far as going after tattooing, it's, I definitely went 100% in for sure, uh, hands down. I mean, quit my job, quit school. I was going into my junior year and, you know, that's when Eric asked me if I wanted to apprentice and I said, let me finish this semester and then I'm all yours. Never went back. What were you studying? Graphic design. Yeah, I was. I was. Oh, so it was yeah. still. It was silly, still silly me. You were. Yeah, you talked about how you're doing a drawing class. I didn't know if that was like. No, no. I, guess, I mean, I yeah. I could have been studying, you know, art or uh, painting, you know, but I wish that I stayed in school to be able to try, you know, like taking some philosophy classes or kind of expanding myself and making myself a little bit more well-rounded and, you know, during school or taking some, you know, metal sculpture or something fucking cool like that. But I would say if I wasn't tattooing, I would probably be cooking, honestly. I would probably try and make my way around as a cook or a chef. Sorry, not a, not a cook. I think you're just saying that because you've got a bunch of pots and pans today. I saw your photos. (laughs) I was so stoked, dude. Like, oh man. I mean, but when I bought my first like pan set and, you know, Eric Romero was giving me shit because he's like, how old are you? You're excited about getting pots and pans. But yo, like it's, you know, I I had nonstick pans previously and the Teflon was coming (laughs) off because, you know, I was using a fork sometimes to you know, fluff up the rice or whatever. But the only problem... You're talking my world there. The only problem with with if I was actually going to get into the world of cooking is I have such a shitty like sense of smell and it makes it super difficult because I just can't pick up really subtle. Like I just have a shitty sense of smell. So like if you give me craft beer, I can't smell fucking, you know, like the nuances and the notes and the all this. Like, no, it's like... It's it's tough, or maybe it's because I don't know what I'm looking for. That you know, I don't have the vocabulary per se. But I think that's kind of the only drawback there. But I would definitely be working with my hands. It's something that brings me. It's just very gratifying. I remember, <laughs> I remember b- being a kid and just like watching like West Coast Customs or you know like these. Just anything that they were building with their hands, like I, I thought it was, I thought it was the coolest thing. I never anticipated doing anything like that, but you know, it was just something that I was always kind of uh, that you know intrigued me. You still can. Why don't you get like a table saw and build a fish tank and put it in the back of your car? <sighs> oh man, I mean, not here, not in San Diego. I got no space. No, not for power <laughs> tools, man. Okay, got a gar- no well, garage. <laughs> Well, I mean, regardless if you were cooking, I mean, you definitely are a business guy. I remember, like you said, you did some screen printing, some button making, and you even had your hand in starting a venue with some friends. So you're always hustling and bustling. 
<laughs> I'm, it's, I'm around the right people, man. It helps. Definitely helps. And let's step away from the business side of things and tattooing. Well, there definitely will be a lot of conversation about tattooing, but I'm going to go ahead and spice things up a little. Okay. And that kind of sounds funny because we've been talking about cooking. <laughs> I didn't really plan <laughs> That's a that, good but. segue. That's a good segue. Yeah, it sounds great. I'm going to leave that <laughs> in. But you know that I like weird questions? I think so far out of all of my guests, you're the one that's known me the longest. So you knew coming into this podcast that things were going to get weird. <laughs> some of these questions I created myself. Others are some of your fans, friends, and family whose identities I've obscured. So you could still say that you still love them after this. <laughs> are you ready? I'm very ready. Okay. Let's start off with mine. If you were to let me tattoo something on you, what would it be? I would let you tattoo a portrait of yourself. That would probably be impossible. You know, what, what empty areas do you still have on your body? Right now, the tops of my knees, and I have like about a hand space size on like the tops of my thighs, but like kind of near the groin on both sides of the thigh. What about I the would, back of your neck? I would neck? probably say I'm about like eight. Mm, my neck's not really tattooed. I don't think I plan on getting it tattooed, but everything else is pretty much game. I would probably say I'm about like 80, 85% tattooed. Okay. Well, maybe I could do a little smiley face Nirvana logo on the back of your neck. I'll definitely take that. <laughs> okay. Maybe like the black flag bars, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> So now that we kind of got that out of the way, if I were going to tattoo you, it would obviously be awful. So on that topic, what's the worst tattoo that you have on your body? The worst one? I would I'd probably say like my first ones are kind of like the ones that aren't really cool. What are they? They're a couple of owls that I have behind my ears. And there's no significance at all. I was 15 when I got them. <laughs> I was... You know, I showed up to this dude's house, apartment, and he just, you know, had me sit sit down on his pleather couch, and I'm just <laughs> fucking laying there, and he's like, what do you want? And I just showed him these two, sh like, shitty line drawings of, like, owls. They look like, I don't know, they're just, they look like doodles, pretty much. And you found him on Greg's list or, I don't, or MySpace I don't, or what? I don't, probably somebody's, fuck. it's, what was it, like, on the... On the uh, somebody's picture comment, probably. I've seen the owls. At least they're not like Tootsie Pop owls. It know, looks something. like it. They look like the fucking Tootsie Pop owl, honestly. Do and they? then one of them, one of them has like like feathers, sort of like crudely drawn in into the chest area, and the other one doesn't. So they're always like, "Oh well, why does this one look finished and the other one's not?" And I'm like, "Oh my god," you know. It's just, it is because that's just the way it is. And I, I, like I said, I was 15 when I got them. So I felt cool as shit when I went back to school the next day or the next couple of days. You know, well, after I got tattooed, I went home that night and I told my mom, like, mom, I got tattooed. And she just looked at me just <laughs> with the straightest face. Like, like laser just, beams were going to blow yes, you up? I, I literally, they not even blow me up. They just went fucking seared right through me. And her boyfriend was at the table and he just like was staring completely wide-eyed at her, just waiting for her next move. And she's like, where? 
And I showed her behind my ears and she just gasped. She's like, you didn't even try and hide it. And I'm like, mm, no. And I just went to my room and she just said fucking, she didn't say anything. She was just livid. She didn't talk to me for like a week. And that weekend I went to the mall. I don't fucking remember which mall or who I was with, but all the homies were like stretching their ears out. So, you know, here I am at the mall trying to get my, probably like Claire's or something. And I got these little, I got my ears pierced and I get home and my mom was fucking pissed. She's like, get out of my house. I don't know who you think you are. And she kicked me out. <laughs> and she kicked me out for like a week. For like a couple weeks. So because you got Tootsie Pop owl tattoos. <laughs> yeah. Your ears. Yeah. But honestly, the, the rest are, you know, I have like a kind of like a pretty bad outline of this tattoo that I lost a bet on and but most of them I feel like I've made pretty decent choices honestly um luckily like I said I was around really smart people that had been tattooing for you know years so they knew the do's and don'ts and luckily I mean the tattoos that they did were the stuff that I liked so I like I mean most of the tattoos that I have good to know and I didn't want to go down this road but what bet did you lose uh i had i had it was uh a pool game and i was playing a, a homie and you know i'm fucking kicking ass and i i asked or i tell them or i ask them i'm just like yo if i win this game you let me tattoo whatever i want on you and they're like bet all right and i'm fucking smoking it and right at the end right on the eight ball i fucking scratch it and so i'm like fuck i have to let them well because i have to let them tattoo me because that was their bet as well so they ended up having to do this like little like rose tattoo but it fucking looked like shit i remember pete was uh there the next day uh he works with me here now and he's just like oh man that looks like it hurt because it was just red and pulsing but it's on the outside of my leg so you can't really see it we kind of went down a crazy road here. And what's the craziest cover-up tattoo that you've done for somebody? Cover-ups? Nothing Nothing really that, that's crazy, honestly, as far as cover-ups go. I've tattooed a, a dick, though. All right, next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, yeah, sounds crazy. But um, <laughs> let's step away from tattooing here. You're a bit of an exercise junkie, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, So, sure. Would you rather exercise with maple syrup in your shoes at all times? Or every 30 seconds of exercise you're doing, you have to yell out, I'm a winner? <laughs> I'll take the maple syrups because that's adding weight. So I could probably, you know, add a little resistance. You wouldn't feel, you know, bothered by syrup in your shoes? Uh, I could, I've been bothered. I mean, I could figure out a way to make it work. On the topic of exercising, you seem to be a pretty big basketball fan like myself. Who's your favorite player currently? Currently? Oh man. I mean, right now, I think probably after watching the last dance, like 
Michael Jordan is just, he is such an insane human being athlete. Like I just watching the actual, uh, that documentary just blew me away. And the fact that he was able to deliver two, three peats is fucking insane. As far as like the current lineup goes, um, I mean, I'm a big LeBron fan, man, and he's just an equally as smart, you know, player. I, I know he doesn't have as as great of, uh, you know, uh, a record in the finals, but you know, John Morant, rookie, also was super fun to watch before the season got cut short. He's incredible. He's yeah, he's, kind he's of like an a- so well. He's got a. And he's got an Allen Iverson style very, to him. Yeah, you know he drives to the hole. That's funny. I, I'm saying driving to the hole because <laughs> my fiance Jazz, who you know, whenever I go to Suns games, I'm just yelling, "Put it in the hole! Come on!" You know, <laughs> and she's just like turning away. She's just like completely embarrassed. But um, yeah, John Moran is great, and especially with those like throwback Vancouver Grizzlies jerseys. It's so I dope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are great. He, he, that guy, but he's not scared. He's not scared of anybody. Like he was dunking over like Kevin Love and just, he, he is, he's going to be a great player to watch and develop. I feel like he might have to gain, you know, hit the weight room and just get the weight up a little bit. You know, I mean, you just, you kind of need that to stay healthy and stay strong. But, you know, Dev, what surprised me is like Devin Booker, he didn't get picked for the All Star, um, what was it All Star Weekend? Until somebody got who got hurt? Uh, Damian Lillard. There you go. Yeah, that's what it was. But that that dude's crazy good too, man. Yeah, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard. Those are some of my favorites. I mean, I like Luca, Luca Doncic a lot. Oh, right. I like the Greek <sighs> Freak. I mean, I'm Greek, it's so Shaq, hey, Shaq two point yeah, it's amazing. So it's kind of funny. Now I'm turning this into a basketball podcast. But um, <laughs> hey, I love that shit. I'm going to try and guess your favorite team here. Um, you did say LeBron's, but originally I was going to say that your favorite team is the Rockets. What's your favorite team? Don't have one. Okay, so if you want to go watch somebody play, wh- who are you going to spend money on? <sighs> I mean, I was I was looking at some of the matchups, like the, the matchups between uh, L.A. and L.A., you know, uh, the Kawhi. Clippers and the Lakers. That, yeah. that would have seemed... Paul George. You know, yeah. Yeah, that was uh, man. That la- the the championship last year was a great. That's a great series to watch. Um, I think it just as long as the rivalry is good, I would be. I would love to watch the game. I don't have a favorite. I, I don't like have Kawhi a, a lot team, too. Honestly, I just like. Oh, he is. He's gonna be one of yeah. He's also very speechless when I watch him play. You know, he's he seems so in control and super soft touch, but. And just, you know, what does he say? Even keeled. And uh, what is it? I think that's, yeah. Yeah, I don't don't know exactly what he says, but obviously the media thinks he's some sort of robot. But I mean, (laughs) he came from Popovich's camp, and the Spurs are definitely one of my all-time favorite teams. But yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to shut down the NBA talk. I mean, because we could go on forever and <laughs> yeah. ever and ever and ever. So, hey, next time you're in town, we'll go to a Suns game. Okay? That would be great. Okay. So, if you could draw an album cover for whichever artist or band of your choosing, who would it be? Oh, man. 
that's a that's who a are you one. listening to these days i honestly like i just have i love kendrick lamar he is somebody that i just appreciate so much and his level of the amount of layers that that he puts in his music and his ability to just connect so many dots over all his pieces of work um that would be a humongous honor especially just because the i guess the socio-political aspect of of his work really but i think that dude that dude means a lot to me for sure okay well i'll have to pull some strings here but you know maybe <laughs> next album you could talk to him no but i mean yeah so you definitely you like listening to hip-hop then yeah i think um for me as far as like tattooing wise it definitely gets me in the groove it's it's tough to listen to something that's super like very very dynamic or where it's changing constantly so i need i guess it depends on the hip-hop but i enjoy tattooing to that you don't tattoo to techno or eiffel 65 I could. or anything i fuck it yeah <laughs> that's a that's definitely an album that i've played though <laughs> at the shop um but what i like to do usually is kind of get a feel for what people what people like to play or at least a few albums that they like and because uh, sometimes I'll, I'll be playing the music at the shop and since mm, i'd probably say maybe like 50 percent of the time if not maybe like 75% of the time I'm like the first person there. So I kind of just like to make sure everybody's music taste gets played a little bit. I like that. I'm going to, one of these days I'm just going to sit in the corner of the tattoo shop and just listen to whatever you play. Okay. <laughs> Some Du Bois. Oh, throwing it back. Yeah. I mean, there anything. You go. Hey, I mean, hey, and you even printed shirts and did band merch for us back in the Yo, day. Yo, so. you know what I found the other day real quick um, was the Buzzards uh, logo rip. Yeah, I love. I wish I had a copy of that shirt for myself. That was, um, to whoever's listening in, there was um, a hockey team called El Paso Buzzards. And my old band had a song called Buzzards. So we asked Maui to put our band name where the buzzards was and buzzards um, text was and yeah i wish i had one still so if anybody <laughs> finds one at goodwill or something let me know um but i'll, I'll send you mine i, I don't want to know what type of stains you have on it so you can keep <laughs> it but hey enough of my questions we're gonna now get to your fans so i love mustard it could be dijon spicy brown or just plain old <laughs> yellow mustard it doesn't matter i love it all but our mutual friend jesse minus from back home wants to know why you hate mustard so much <laughs> oh man this is gearing i don't up to be good i don't know why i don't know why i have such a disdain i loathe it and and it's not just because i've tried it one time i've tried it multiple times in my life just to see like you know, maybe maybe it was the container that was spoiled. Maybe it was the type of mustard. You know, the only thing that I've landed on that I've liked more or less 
was we went to like a German bratwurst. Jesse and I went to a German bratwurst place and they had like six different types of mustard. Hated them all except for the sugar mustard. And that's obviously just because I love sugar. And <laughs> why don't you just so, start, so you just I feel like that doesn't count I feel like that doesn't count you know what I mean I'm just like this isn't this isn't mustard it's just sugar with you know a little bit of mustard but I don't understand what what it is that there's something about the taste or the smell that I just I can't align with it I, I can't and I've tried it multiple times like I said I'm a very non-picky eater I'll try anything but there's just something about mustard that kind of throws me off what else don't you like besides mustard that's maybe a, like a ton of wasabi but i mean you know, i can eat it what if you put sugar in the wasabi i haven't tried it yet although i did try this wasabi from a uh sushi spot here that didn't have that intense of uh, you know like feeling in your nose like yeah. And, I, and I asked them why, and they're like, oh, it's because this is fresh wasabi. It's not like freeze-dried. Hmm. Yeah, I like wasabi, but when it goes kind of overboard and it goes into like the back of my sinuses, I, <laughs> yeah. when, when you said that you don't smell well, like my nose doesn't function at all. I had a deviated yeah. septum. Yeah. I had that fixed, and I still can't breathe properly at all. Like I think I... One nostril is like five percent, and another's like forty percent. So if you see me jogging, I just look like <laughs> you know a salivating dog that like Pavlov has conditioned or something. You know? Oh man, no, I know what you're talking about. Or like if you sleep on one side of your nose, like it just one of a you can never breathe through both nostrils. Fine, it's always just one, and at like thirty yes. percent. I'm very envious of people that could you know have both of those nostrils open and yeah, are. <laughs> breathing properly (laughs) okay so we got mustard and wasabi out of the way here samantha asks what is the most unexplainable thing that has happened to you maybe it's aliens winning the lottery losing it all is there anything that stands out i remember there was one time where a friend of mine and i were on scenic drive and scenic drive is a it's pretty much just like a road that goes on the side of you know the mountain in in El Paso and it overlooks the city it overlooks Juarez as well just because El Paso is a border town and you know we were smoking a little bit of weed nothing crazy there wasn't any hallucinogens being ingested but we're sitting there and I'm looking out at the sky and these three like lights but like a bokeh light where it's just, you know, kind of like the circle, the circular light. And there's just three of them. They're just floating and they start zipping across the sky and at a speed that's just, if you were to scale that, like if you were up close, that thing would have been, I don't know how many miles per hour. I'm not, you know, I I can't do math that quick. Uh, (laughs) But the in, like the the quickness at which these lights were moving and the way that they just trailed off into the distance like i can't get that image out of my head and i think it just i know there's something out there we're not like the only things living in this uh, universe that's for sure 
I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's if it was a spiritual, like if it was a ghost or some sort of spiritual, you know, being, or if they were aliens or and that was their vehicle where they were like, you know, <laughs> bouncing around. I don't know. But after that happened, I was like, okay, this is fucked up. And I look over and I ask Dom, I'm like, yo, you saw that, right? And she was like, yes. And I was like, I just want to know that I'm not fucking crazy. And she's like, no, I saw the whole thing. And that was it. We didn't like, there was no more, you know, discussion, at least not that I can remember at at the top of my head. This is years and years ago, but I would feel like that's the most unexplainable thing that's happened to me so far. Your friend wasn't like waving the cell phone, you know, rapidly. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Probably right. She's probably like on her phone and it was just the reflection in the windshield. <laughs> Something <laughs> stupid. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, alrighty. Aliens, the paranormal, we knocked that out as well. Ham Edwards wants to know when did you know that tattooing was for you and that you're a huge inspiration for him? You kind of touched on it obviously before but was there a particular defining moment where you're just like this is it this is the time was it that time where you were drawing in class or when you were getting tattooed what what was that defining moment exactly i think that the i i think i'm I, i'm still i'm still right there i'm still feeling that it is what it's what's driving so much of my 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 input and in, in, in energy. But I think it's once I started tattooing and the amount of challenge that it took for me to get the technique, and I'm still getting the technique down and the drawing and the design. There's so many different variables that keep me on my toes that are just extremely challenging because I'm trying to reach, uh, I'm prone to, you know, trying to be as good as I can and and like shooting for perfection or having some sort of like perfectionist quality sometimes. And I think the fact that you're only as good as your last tattoo, (laughs) although, I, I mean, I know you shouldn't really identify yourself with your work so much but it's just a large part of what i do in my life so it's definitely a marker in which how i feel i can gauge how i'm doing i think it's just been the amount of difficulty and the challenge that tattooing has presented itself to me it's very elusive so it's it just keeps me kind of coming back for more and yeah, the, I wouldn't say that there's one particular defining moment, but I think it's just the constant change. And even just the fact that, you know, you yourself as a human being is constantly evolving. So it's going to show in your work, you know, life, uh, art or life imitates art or vice versa. I don't know which one it was, but I think it's very, it's just a very challenging thing, but it's, just captured so many different parts of my life and it's definitely a lifestyle i've designed most of my life and my recently most of my life and most of my habits to be able to deliver the best 
work that I can at the highest level. And that means, you know, trying to go to sleep early, trying to have decent, uh, what's it called? Uh, diet. Um, don't eat mustard. Don't eat mustard. <laughs> and just, uh, just draw, drawing as much as I can or, and drawing as well as I can. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is almost a bit of a similar question here. Irby Dorado from San Diego, California. He actually had kind of a, like I said, a similar question. And he asks, when did you think, hey, I could totally be a tattoo artist? Was there a particular moment that you, where you felt you achieved, hey, I could be a, a sustaining, how can I say this? You know, an artist that could sustain himself from tattooing. I don't feel like that now sometimes. It's this like drive that I need to keep um, learning. I need, I mean, I I just, uh, it's this drive that's just like that I've just developed or that's just that I just want to make sure that that I want to keep working and I, and I want to do better and I want to, and I want to do cleaner and more visceral work. I don't feel like I'm there yet. I don't feel like my work is saying what I want it to say. I'm still trying to figure that out. And I think it's just not getting to the point where I feel like my potential can be is really what's driving me. But I feel like, like I was, I mentioned Devix earlier. He, I met him tattooing early on and I think he was very much a benchmarker for where I could be if I applied myself because I saw him and I'm like, okay, he's been tattooing for a year or I think it was like three years by the time that I started tattooing. So I looked at his work and I would see, okay, he's been tattooing three years. If he can get there, then I can get there. And I think I would just draw so much inspiration from him because he was in the same pool of people and he was at a shorter lifetime or an age span of tattooing. He was just a younger, he was a younger cat. So I would just watch him. And I mean, so many people give me shit because they say I'm pretty much just like a rip of Devix, but how could I not, how could my stuff not look like somebody's if that's who was inspiring me? Like it doesn't bother me. I know they're just like giving me shit. That's what friends are for. But I think watching him and seeing him progress has definitely been um, somebody who's helped me get to where I am. Well, I love that you're, you know, saying that you're hungry you know, in your craft. And Irby is hungry for you to get back into the shop because he said he was scheduled to have a tattoo with you last month. So he's eager <laughs> for you to get back to the shop. And hey, I can't wait until, you know. We'll get there. We'll get there soon, bud. So on that same topic of staying driven, Jaime Acosta, he's apprenticing as well. And yes. he actually wanted to ask if you ever thought about quitting your apprenticeship. And if you did, what kept you driven to keep on going? I never thought of quitting, but it got hard. It got hard just because you're having to manage so many different parts of your life at once, especially if, you know, if you're not apprentice, if you're apprenticing full time and you're not working, how are you supposed to make money to be able to make ends meet while, you know, while you're apprenticing? And if you're working, how do you spend enough time to give yourself to that profession. Right. You know, cause you only have so much like emotional 
not health, but emotional bandwidth to be able to handle like the amount of stuff. Um, well, time in the day as well. Yeah. I think it's, it's sacrifice. It's, and, and it's sacrifice. And I mean, I mean, it's not really sacrifice, but it's just making the right decisions that are going to affect your final goal. And I think just limiting, I mean, social, social life definitely takes a hit, you know, which I was fine with, but knowing that continuously just trying to respect the process and and stop being so hard on yourself because you're not at a point where you wish you would be or you know that you can be you know you're constantly looking at the future and you're not settle not settling but you're not just being present and respecting the process and i think getting to a very granular dialogue of what you need to do to be able to better yourself and making your goals achievable and making them easy is what helps that. So, I mean, if you're trying to, you know, get your drawing better, you know, do a drawing a day, or if that's too hard, if you can't even do one full drawing a day, then break it down less, you know, just, I'm going to draw for five for 15 minutes a day after the 15 minutes that's considered a you know i reached my goals so i feel like just breaking down your goal enough to where you make it where it's manageable and you make it easy to where you win it's easy for us to just like put this big project in front of us and say like you know i'm going to record a full length in like two days or i'm going to paint this i'm going to do a painting uh the, the size of you know like three by five in, you know, two hours or two weeks or whatever. And it ends up taking a lot longer than we do. But yeah, just, you know, respect the process for sure. That's the only thing that you can do. And just at least you have a purpose in getting to where you want to go rather than just mindlessly walking about. I like that. That's good advice. We just have a couple more fan questions, but... Taylor asks if you remember giving her a black eye in kindergarten. <laughs> she includes a tongue out winking emoji, you know, so she obviously doesn't harness any ill will towards you. But were you doing roundhouse kicks in kindergarten or what? wait, which Taylor? Taylor Belusic. Oh, my gosh. I feel like this was I, she lives at the at, uh, she lived by Adam. And I feel like we were at her house, maybe like horse playing i don't i don't even remember honestly i don't but i know she's brought it up and i feel really bad because i was kind of a shitty kid so to a lot of people i owe an apology well you're a sweetheart now so that's what matters <laughs> i'm working on it and you're doing a great job at it <laughs> joseph alvarez asks if he's planning on getting a tattoo what should he need to know i feel like it's really I mean, like anything, it, it could be a bit of a paradox of choice with the amount of stuff that's uh, available to us information-wise. But I think... As long as he's not getting, you know, Tootsie Pop owls on a pleather couch, right? <laughs> that could... I mean, that's definitely doable. But I believe just knowing what it is, like subject matter that it is that you want and the size is going to help out a lot, you know, 
I I want a wolf head on my shoulder cap, or uh, I'm, I want to get a chess piece with you know a snake or something geometric and ornamental as a leg sleeve. I think it's important to know the subject matter and the style or the size. Another very important thing that I would say to think about is is knowing what style you want to go in the direction of because I think a lot of people have a misconception of getting a bunch of tattoos and then trying to slap on some background in the end hoping to bring the anatomy and the movement in the piece together but really all of that's done beforehand for the most part so discussing with your artist that you know, you want to get a sleeve, you want to, you know, you want to get a chest panel down to a sleeve or like a back piece. And these are things that if you're keeping the background in mind, it's going to make, if you're thinking about all that in the beginning, it's going to make your final outcome look a lot better. And it's just going to, you know, it's just going to feel better. It's going to look better. It's going to look like it's just designed with intention rather than just, you know, slapped on. So put some research and thought into it. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's hard doing big, it's tough getting like big projects. So, I mean, my suggestion, so the style doesn't change so much, I would recommend, especially if you're looking into getting bigger work, I would say saving, you know, maybe five or six sessions worth of money up front and just booking those a month or two weeks at a time or a month at a time because you don't want to go too much time in between where your artist's style starts to change and like you can actually see the style changing throughout your arm. Um, wow, another, I never thought of that. Yeah. So I would say like try and, you know, save enough money to where you're getting your, you're pretty much uh, bulking all the, pr- the process instead of doing it you know, oh, I'm going to get a tattoo or I'm working on it every six months. That's going to take forever. You know, there's people walking around and they still haven't finished a tattoo that they got 20 years ago and maybe they will never finish it. And that's fine. But I just don't like to walk around with projects. I also don't like to start projects with people who aren't serious about finishing them because I just wasted a bunch of time trying to design it. But one more thing I would probably suggest just meeting the artists and seeing if you guys vibe like i think it, it might be a little bit more difficult if you're traveling to get tattooed by this person but i feel like people who are traveling to get tattooed are tend to be a little bit more loose with you know the the process and are okay with just you know whatever happens but yeah just research and go to there's plenty of shops in town wherever you are so you know, I think just if you like what the person is doing, go to them and just let them do what they're doing. And you got to relinquish control and you got to give trust to them. And I think that's when you'll be a little bit more satisfied with your work. Okay. And this is going to be our last one here. Jazz Torres asks, Tryon has no tats. And for people who are wondering, Tryon is me. Uh, that's my last one. But- <laughs> So I have no tats. What would you give him as a first tat and why? Um, so what would I you give f- me? I think it would be fun to maybe do something like, I don't know. For some reason, the first the first thing that came to mind was doing like one of Jazz's illustrations, but tattooed it 
in like something in her style just depending what it was um i don't know that'd be cool yeah maybe like a bowl of menudo over my heart (laughs) maybe like a a chess piece of an amplifier maybe with like my last name in old english or something i don't know i'm gonna go with that last choice and it's gonna be on the stomach though like going like a little belly rocker (laughs) wow yeah okay Um, throw some throw some dice underneath there too Okay, well, we're definitely going to have to do some of those shoreline jogs for it to work properly. <laughs> Otherwise, my name will be ir- irrecognizable. Um, Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay, so now that we got the silliness out of the way, let's get back to business here. You already answered the quintessential heavy question of what was the moment that made you decide whatever made you want to become a tattoo artist. But when you started tattooing, was there any immediate disapproval from friends or family being like, come on, Maui, you know, college is a path you have to take to make it into this world. You're only kidding yourself. My mom was not cool with it. She didn't really approve of me ditching school to, you know, tattoo but she was never trying to impose her choice of who she felt like i needed to be i think i really respect her for letting me make my choices although i've definitely made some wrong ones uh and still do but most of my family was not cool with it and i think it wasn't until they saw how it really how it really changed my life for the better you know, like I said, I try and do the best that I can for the people that I tattoo because, I mean, I just don't want to do shitty tattoos on people. So I understand the gravity of what people are asking me to do for them. And luckily, it, like I said, I've tried to make choices to where I'm able to be as 100% as I can. So I think once they started seeing that I was just becoming a an adult <laughs> and not just getting fucked up all the time that they were starting to see that, you know, it was okay. Now it's to the point that I've tattooed a couple of my family members and I, I really Tables appreciate Tables had turned. Yep. So I really, I really appreciate that. I think it's a big, it's a, it's a big trust. Uh, it's a big action or a display of trust. And it, I feel like it speaks volumes, especially when the people who were once, you know, I come from a very traditional Mexican family and, you know, only gangsters get tattooed. So I think uh, kind of broke the barriers for that one. And on that topic, I know that we're done with fan questions, but our mutual friend, Chris Odom, 
actually had a great question and I wanted to tie it into how you answered this question. Thankfully, you brought up your mom. In a sense, you said that she disapproved of you embarking on this career as a tattoo artist, but she's an artist herself, from what I understand. Did yes. she have any sort of influence on you pursuing a life in the arts? Um, Like I said, maybe in very indirectly, she was never trying to get me into a drawing or art. Like I'm sure she tried here and there when, when we were younger or when, when I was younger, but I just, there was a lot of surrealism art growing up at the house and, you know, like Dali. Yeah. Books on Dali. There's Frida Kahlo. Like my mom has a, a glass display case of just Frida Kahlo stuff, just like she's got books everywhere. And I mean, yeah, I never opened them, but I feel like the pieces on display were a lot more visually impacting than, you know, the books that she had. But, you know, she went to school at UTEP and she became an art teacher and she's out teaching at Gadsden High School. That's awesome. So I feel like, it. I mean, she's definitely seen the arc of my progression but a lot of her imagery sticks in the stuff that i like to see i'm not i'm not applying it all the time in my work but it's you know i'm it'll incorporate it'll be incorporated there when it is well i like that you brought that up because i was actually going to ask you know what are some of your biggest inspirations whether it's other tattoo artists directly or even outside of the tattoo world, are there any inspirations right off the top of your head that I know you've spoken about some of your friends and your mentors, but is there anything where it's just like, it's like, hey, this is, you know, evident in my work, kind of like how you're talking about Frida Kahlo or Dali? I feel like a lot of my inspiration is very scattered and outsourced in very small pockets of people's work. I mean, aside from, I really enjoy Shepard Fairey's stuff, you know, the guy who does Obey. We actually work in South Park and he has a mural down there, which is two blocks from where I work. And I think that's, (laughs) it's fantastic. I've traveled a little bit and I always see his Andre the Giant sticker and I've, I've seen it in Paris, L.A. I was in London and I saw it there. Uh, I think I even I think it was even in. Um, uh, what is that? Oh, my God, I forgot that city. Anyway, uh, but you got one in your bathroom. No, not yet. <laughs> I'm, but I'm sure it'll show up there one day. But I find it so funny that that picture and that photo uh, sticker is something that I've seen in my travels. But I have a lot of respect for the people that I work with, and I draw a lot of inspiration from people that are around me. Proximity for me is like the biggest influence. And watching people's processes of how they're able to achieve a particular outcome and whatever it is, you know, is a really big inspiration in that way. But honestly, there's nobody at the top of my head that really has a huge impact that I'm consistently emulating. At this point, I still don't know what my work looks like or what it should look like or whether it should look like anything at all. 
most of the time I'm really just trying to see what the person is bringing me as far as uh, style. Sometimes I change the style according to what the person is wanting. So it really just depends on what the person has tattooed, the styles that they are that they're trying to get tattooed in. But I mean, I just think visually I'm really all over the place and I wouldn't be able to pin it down on, you know, on any few particular artists. Well, speaking visually, I mean, you're also a photographer. Yeah, well, I take pictures speaking here and there. about <laughs> the visual aspect. Yeah, you're, you're a photographer and I've seen your work and I really enjoy it. So, I mean, you're soaking up beauty wherever you could find it. Well, that was my first love, honestly. That I found in high school was was photography. I didn't have a film camera for the longest time. And I had recently, a couple of years ago, I had gotten a, like a Fuji X-T1, I believe. If the, It's a mirrorless camera, super light, great. I love shooting with it. But it, I ended up getting an AE-1 program, which is... Ah, that was the first super, camera I ever used, and super I still own it to e- this day. Super easy to use. like It's very easy. And Built like, like a tank. Use, yeah, exactly. You could, you could bash User someone's friendly. skull with it. <laughs> it's so it's, uh, you know, multifunctional. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, man, uh, there's been times where I'm shooting with both cameras, and for some reason, the feel and the final product of film is just, you know... Is so much better. There's something going on in you know that fucking in the, in that little that process where it's getting developed, or when you're taking the picture, or even just like the fact that you're not instantly getting feedback, so you're really trusting your instinct. Uh, that the choices that you're making are a little bit more intentional. So hey, that could be it. I don't know, but I, I love film, man. Yeah, that's what I've primarily shot for a very long time. And, you know, I just said shot, but continue to shoot. It's, I think it lends itself to, there's nothing, I don't, it doesn't matter if you're taking photos with an iPhone or if you've got a digital camera, you know, as long as you're capturing the moments, like you don't have to fly out to Paris to take photos. You could do it in your backyard. Yeah. But I think the thing that I like is that, I think we've kind of mentioned like being a perfectionist. And if I had like access to take 3000 photos, I'm going to lose my mind trying yeah. to analyze which yeah. one's the best. Whereas yeah. it's like, okay, well we got a roll here. It's either in 24 exposures or 36, 36. exposures. Yeah. I'm not going to be able to look at it immediately. I'm just going to have to wait until, you know, I develop them myself or develop them elsewhere. Yeah. And you know, if I get a nice gem in there, then Hey, it's amazing. It's kind of like unwrapping a present. Um, yeah, and you uh, don't yeah. know what you're going to get. And I think it goes into even the process of having to scan it. You know, I have a scanner, I scan the film and I don't, you know, even edit the photos, you know, maybe you I'll develop them up a little bit. I have when I, when I was younger in high school, right. but honestly, I've kind of like lost the ability to, I have all the chemicals, but I haven't taken that like leap to try and get back into it again. Um, you know, we have plenty of friends that actually do it. So I feel like, you know, I just need them to kind of, you know, pull me to the side and be like, Hey, let's do it. But there's a hey, little man. spot it's, like nearby where I live and, you know, I try and support them. 
That's a, I mean, it's a, an art in itself to try and do those things. So I feel like outsourcing it in the times when you need to is, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. At least getting it to the people who know what they're doing. The, yeah, I, think, I wouldn't know I what I'm the, doing. I'd probably destroy it all. So. Yeah. I mean, funny, back in high school, you know, there was that revolving. We went, we went to the same high school. There was Cornado? that photography. Yeah. And there was yep. that photography room with the spinning, uh, whatever Door? the dark room. It was like a yeah. legitimate dark room. I love that room. So cool. I, that's where I learned how to, you know, develop. I, I fucked up many a film there for sure. <laughs> um, the best part about getting film is, you know, when you get it as a gift from a friend and you take it on a trip and you're really excited because you've never taken uh, pictures with this film before and then you get back and you get it developed and there's nothing on the fucking film. Yeah, I mean, you have to watch out. I think most film, yeah, I mean, it got exposed or you didn't yeah. wind it up properly or I, maybe I feel it went, like that's it, where it was. It, or it uh, went through the X. I don't think X. I mean, X-ray machines. I think I, I didn't wind it up correctly. Up too, but, but but that was such hey, a that's a part of the journey too. Yeah, I'm like, oh, oh well, well, I guess I lost the whole night of shooting. But I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> well, talking about you know the process of getting a film photo in front of you is, I mean, I would say it's similar to tattooing. There's definitely a you know a journey of different steps. But what's the process of preparing someone for a tattoo from the design that's presented to you to it finally being inked on someone? Can you kind of just give a, you know, a bit of a layout on how that works? Well, usually we like I've set up a consultation just to get a feel for what the person, you know, wants, needs in their pieces or, you know, their project. And from there, after the consultation, I designed the piece according to what they want and where it's going to fit on their body. And from there, it's, I, you know, they come in, they take a look at the design. If they're, I usually schedule enough cushion time to be able to make any changes, but usually for the most, I'd probably say like 90% of the time, maybe 95, uh, I don't have to redraw. That's also because sometimes I'll give options to the person just for them to see different takes on on the idea and once they choose the design you know you put the stencil on they can take a look at it how it sits on the skin rather than just taking a piece of paper and putting it on the skin it's actually sitting on the on the skin once i'm gonna tattoo it and once they you know give me the okay then you just kind of go for it for someone like myself that doesn't know much about tattooing what are the most important pieces of equipment for a tattoo artist? Or, I mean, I guess I would say the tools, like your hands, your vision, hands, yeah. your chair. <laughs> yeah, your, your yeah, confidence. you can't do much of... <laughs> okay, confidence. I mean, your tattoo gun. I mean, can you tattoo in any type of stool or a lazy boy? Obviously, you won't do it on a lazy boy, but I mean, can you rank you what could. matters most? <laughs> you could. <laughs> well, I mean, we it talked just about the other on, couch under, guy. On your resolves, you know? <laughs> How, but, how, I mean, I mean, can you rank what matters the most from top to bottom for you? Like your hands, your vision, your stunning good looks. For your me, tattoo gun, <laughs> you know, I, for me, for sure, it's the uh, machines play a big part on the ability to make something 
to make your process as, as fluid as possible. Lighting plays a good factor in just being able, usually I like to have two sets of lights, one to my right and to my left, kind of like I'm in a stadium pretty much. That way, whatever angle I'm in, I'm not losing any light, but you also need to know how to tattoo if there's no light. So that's where the confidence comes into play. And and I think being a good tattooer is being able to use whatever's at your disposal or whatever's on hand and still being able to produce something that is, you know, over-delivered pretty much. But machines, lighting, uh, I like a good stool. It's like a, a good medical, like doctor's stool. I don't like sitting on anything that's, you know, that doesn't have good support cushion because, you know, obviously we're sitting there for... You don't use like a computer chair or something? Uh, like great lumbar, <laughs> gr- great lumbar support? <laughs> there you go. I'm going to try... I'm Well, I mean, now that you bring up Lazy Boys, I think I might just take that in to the shop and see if I can get my work done that way. Yeah, let's hope you're nothing, still employed after nothing, a week. Nothing like a power recliner. (laughs) There you go. And as far as, you know, confidence and skill, is there a tattoo that you're most proud of that you've done on somebody? Ooh. Um, no, (laughs) there's not. I mean, I've been happy to finish, you know, lately it's been more of the, the bigger work of like stuff with more background incorporated to it just the more Japanese themes because I feel like it takes a little bit more forethought in design and more attention to how it sits on the body atomically. Anatomically? Not atomically. Um, <laughs> so um, I think the big, some of the bigger like Japanese-themed work for sure have been kind of a, 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 a satisfying satisfying to see kind of come to fruition because man there was a point where i just felt like i i was so scared of not being able to do it correctly that i was just scared to do it at all so i just never jumped in not jumped into it so, so i would have to do like tell myself like maybe like two like three years ago i was just like always doing these self-affirmations of like i can do japanese tattooing i can do japanese tattooing i can (laughs) like just to give me the fucking confidence dude so i'd probably say lately it's been those but honestly most of the time it's being able to see the tattoo come back healed and it's settled nicely and there's like you know uh it's just applied well and taken care of um it's always great to see those things, especially just because it's very ephemeral for tattooers. Like we put so much work into stuff that is living and floating out all over the world that we don't even get to see a lot of the, the I guess, f- f- I mean, fruits of your labor. I don't know. I don't get to see those things. I just have a picture of it before or like once it's done a lot of times i don't see this work ever in my life so to be sitting there and just doing work that i get i almost may never get to see again is kind of it's a little humorous because it's very much the opposite of what people when you're on the other side of the chair and when you're getting tattooed you know you're leaving with it and you're taking it with you wherever you go as long as you don't get dismembered or something um there you go so for the most part, it's interesting to be on both sides of being a tattooer and a tattooee. And is there a design or image that people request the most 
you know, whether it's you or even at the shop is like, hey, I want skulls, I want dragons, I want a samurai, I want hearts. Is Man, there, depends is who you ask. Something? I mean, the shop that I'm at kind of caters to all styles, really. But I think you look at some of the old paintings in museums and it's, you know, memento mori type stuff like time, floral work, skulls, uh, women, just it's all I mean, it's all there's so many, there's so much of it. And there's so many different like subject matters that people get. But I mean, it's pretty consistent, I would say. It just depends who you ask right. and what they're tattooing. But I mean, dragons for sure, snakes, portraits, loved ones, people's pets. People love getting their pets tattooed on them. Um, pattern work, ornamental stuff. It just depends who you ask because every tattooer will be tattooing different different volumes of different subject matter depending on what they're getting hit up for. Right on. And I know that as far as for the people that are going to be tuning in, some of them are aspiring tattoo artists or just people that appreciate tattoos in general. But you've definitely inspired people to start tattooing, you know, as far as whether it's back home or in other ways of life where you've encountered them or in San Diego. But what advice would you give to people that want to be a tattoo artist? Draw. Draw as much as you can and get feedback from, I mean, get feedback from tattooers, get tattooed. That I can't say enough. You know, most of the stuff that I've learned has been getting tattooed or watching people tattoo. But I think, like I've said it before, it's you can't out tattoo a shitty drawing. So design is the most, you know, I feel like is the most important thing. And just noticing the silhouette of the shape of what you're creating, the flow of the movement of the design, and just getting after it day in and day out. Like, I don't like using the word inspiration because I feel like it's not sustainable, but inspiration strikes every day at eight o'clock for me, you know? So maybe not lately, but, you know, when things were normal, it was, doesn't matter. It's like going to the gym. It's not even like a choice for me to go or not. It's that's what's going to happen because these are the choices that are going to help me get to where I want to be faster or at least get to where I want to be eventually. So I think whatever it is that people want to do, whether it's tattooing or cooking or painting or photography or anything like or even if it's not in the arts, it's just setting up a structure or a system to where you're, you know, the cues that you're taking are readily available and are easy to make and the choices are easy to make rather than it being a struggle. Well, that's some incredible advice. That's advice I think that could be applied in so many different ways. You know, it, you had said even outside of tattooing, but to wrap this up, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to do this interview. I've told you this before and I'll tell you again when that day comes that I'm going to get tattooed you're going to be the one that inks me you know whether it's that amp with my last name in old English across my gut or maybe a taco <laughs> on my thigh I don't know but you're the person I'll be ringing up again I just want to say thank you Maui no no thank you Chris man I really appreciate your time and your and your energy to talk to me for for a few minutes here I loved it. We talked about Utsi the Iceman. We talked about 
mustard, talked about <laughs> photography, and of course we did talk about tattooing, but even more so, I love your work ethic. You're a great friend, and I'm glad I was able to have you on the show. And to everybody listening out there, thanks so much for tuning in. And, well, I'll see you next Monday. Thanks, Maui. Thank you, Chris. So there's my conversation with Maui. Like I mentioned before, we talked about so many things, and obviously we conversed on one of the main points of the episode, which was tattooing. I loved when he spoke about his mentors and friends that helped get him to where he is today. He has inspired many people to pick up tattooing, but he's also inspired people like myself just by the way he carries himself, whether it's professionally or just as a friend. I love that. Maui's been my first non-musician guest. While music is what I guess I could say I know best, I'm definitely excited to interview other people that are involved in different mediums within the creative process. Connecting with people and engaging in conversations that penetrate much deeper than what's on the surface is why I started this. So I'm grateful to have conversations with people like Maui, and I also appreciate you guys tuning in. Additional music in this episode was provided by Colum and Rowe from El Paso, Texas, so make sure to give them a listen. If you like what you're listening to, then give some positive feedback and subscribe to the show. You could also go to my Instagram and interviewswithchris.com to find additional content and keep track with me there. Thanks again, everybody. Take care and stay safe out there. See you next Monday.